The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. And right across from me is the one, the only. Oh, y'all thought I was going to say Tammy, huh? No. She went and got herself the regular flu. Not the COVID, the regular flu. So today is the big day for the intern. Say hi, intern. Hello. The intern's name is Jacob, by the way. So say hi, my name is Jacob. Hi, my name is Jacob. I am not at all confident or know what this thing is about. <laughs> Like, honestly, I'm just a hobo that you picked up off the street. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> I'm telling you. Did I tell you, by the way, that I got kicked off of another social media platform altogether? Which one? Oh, my God. I was using this, uh, and I mentioned this in a different uh, podcast episode. <clears throat> it's called Next Door, and it's about all the neighbors. Oh, I know about Next Door. Uh, Dude, it yeah. was awesome. I posted the, um, the I'm oh, a 13-year-old po- uh, trapped in a 48-year-old man's body. Nothing sexually explicit in there, by the way. There's innuendo, but nothing. Ex- they permanently banned me. Well, of course. And they said, they go, nothing sexually explicit can be on here. So there's nothing sexually explicit. I just want to point out that I know you don't follow Reddit or anything like that, but there are some certain posts about like bashing people. No, there wasn't bashing anybody. Well, I'm talking, I haven't finished. Like they're bashing people like. The P word. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that you one. Can say whatever you want. All right. Well, like they're bashing pedophiles, whatnot. Like, oh, I'm just uh, ten, I'm just stuck in a ten year old body, even though I'm actually thirty four. Oh uh, no, mine or was like the reverse totally of that too. Totally different. Yeah, yours was just an innuendo, but like I'm guessing no, my, that's no, not that wasn't it at all. I was talking about my maturity level. Yeah. And they get, well, it's sexually explicit, and there was literally nothing that was sexually explicit in there. Nothing. So. Yeah, next door is just an app meant for like neighborhood stuff. So like, uh, but I've never been kicked off of anything for something I didn't do. Like Facebook, I'm in Facebook jail all the fucking time. Like I'm a hardcore Facebook convict. You know, I should have a teardrop under my eye and shit like, like that. Like the painted one. Yeah, hell yeah. Because like all clown makeup. Like, I haven't been put in Facebook jail in six months, and this is like a record for me because usually I get I get thirty day bans about Yay. every month. You you got you stayed out for six months. Yeah. Round of applause, everybody. I'm probably gonna you know post something about you know Nazis or something and get put back in there. Okay, let's. Uh, who who are we doing? All right, so today we got a Mr. Uh, Ivan Malat. This one here's out of Australia. Good day, mate. Ivan Malat from Australia. <laughs> All right. All right. So Ivan Robert Marco Malat was born on Polo. December 24th of 1944. You did who to what? Polo. Marco Polo. <laughs> oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I'm already starting. Are my Okay. He was born December 24th of 1944 in Guildford, North South Wales, Australia. His father was a Croatian immigrant and a laborer named... Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this, boys and girls. So if you're from Croatia, which I think we have a market there, so sorry. Stjepan, S T J E P A N, Marco Malat. Uh, what was it again? Stjepan. S T J E P A N. Stjepan. 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 Because I know, like in some places, J is pronounced as a Y or something. Probably. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. So, like, 
I probably butchered it just as bad as he did, probably even further. Well, most people just called him Stephen. His mother was an Australian native named Margaret Elizabeth Piddleston. That's a fucking fancy-ass name. Piddleston? Piddleston. Went to Piddleston Manor. <laughs> Stephen and Margaret were both 16 years old when they got married to, uh, together to each other, and they had 14. Fourteen kids. God damn, Margaret, close your legs. Fourteen kids. Fourteen fucking kids. Were any of them twins or like triplets, or is that know. just it doesn't say anything about that? But I tell you what, it's like a farmer wife. With fourteen kids, I would put them all in a room, and I've said this a thousand times. Give them all sharp weapons and go. Look, not all you motherfuckers are gonna make it out of here. Whoever does, love you the best, and welcome to the family. Be back in an hour. Oh uh, yeah. By the way, I was the one that won. And I'd be like, sort this shit out, because we ain't keeping no 14 kids. 14 kids. That's a so, huge tax break. I wonder if they have that in Australia. Uh, that, that's my CPA. So Ivan, Ivan was their fifth kid. Ivan and his siblings grew up in Sydney, Australia, before the family moved to Liverpool, Australia. So not Liverpool, England, where the Beatles come from. <laughs> It's also reported that Stephen was a very strict disciplinarian. That's the dada. Reports indicate that in comparison with his other siblings, Ivan was kinder, better mannered, neater, and more put together than all of them. And this is the person that we're talking about <laughs> today? I've seen this before. This, this fucking happens a lot. So the, you're saying the person that <laughs> ends up being the kindest in their childhood also murdered people. Oh, wow. Who, who would have found out that trope? <laughs> <laughs> no, I see that a lot. Like where kids will start off like the, he was really reserved and a good student and great. And, and, and all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, he murdered 50 people with like a dull butter knife and a dildo. And you're like, God damn. Even better, for, being even better if both of them were used at the same time. You need Jesus. You know that? The dull butter knife is the handle. You need Jesus. That's all I gotta say about that. And the dildo's the blade. So, <laughs> he also didn't drink or smoke, and he had a reputation for being a really hard worker. That being said, even at a young age, he displayed signs of an antisocial behavior. Ivan was 17 years old when he was sent to uh, a detention center for theft. So by 17 years old, he's like, fuck it, I'm gonna steal shit. Juvenile hall for him. Okay, so how do we go from antisocial to theft? Quite simple. If you don't call yourself out, then am I am I not talking yeah, right? You, you got to be like on it. I got to be on it. Yeah, yeah we're we're <laughs> we're teaching intern today. Mike dynamics. Good times. Yay! Like if if you're antisocial, you can't call yourself out for the same crime you did. No, yeah, I suppose because there's a lot of people that are that stupid. Makes sense. Then in 1964, when he turned 19 years old, he was arrested for breaking and entering, which earned him a sentence of 18 months. So back to jail you go, fucker. After serving that sentence and being released, Ivan didn't even last one month before committing even more crimes. This time, he was caught driving a stolen car and wound up serving two years of hard labor. That's right. Fix that road. So he's a career criminal at this point. Oh, shit, yeah. Then in September of 67, 1967, 
Ivan received another three-year sentence for theft. So, you know, hey, if the first couple of times you get thrown in, let's try this uh, again for a trifecta, right? <laughs> By the time Ivan was convicted of that theft charge, he was nearly 23 years old and an established career criminal. That being said, it's not a surprise that his criminal behavior escalated after he had served his sentence and was released from prison. And I've heard it said, like, when people go to prison, you know, they basically learn how to be better crim criminals. Yeah. About it. Playing a criminal around other criminals. I don't know how you pronounce it like that. Playing a criminal near other criminals, then they're just going to share their what they did. Right, right. I, I'm talking. I know. I just want to be about two inches. So there you go. Yeah. Mike Dynamics. We'll, we'll get it. Ivan found himself on the wrong side of the law again in April of 1971. Only this time, it appears as if he had discovered where he fit in amongst the criminal elements. He was charged for the abduction of two hitchhikers, one of which he raped as well. While Ivan was awaiting trial, he set about committing a string of robberies with his brothers. Then... He faked a suicide attempt before he fled to New Zealand for approximately about a year. Why would he flee to New Zealand? Because it's right next door to Australia. You know what? That's fair. Yeah. I mean, so he got his brothers into the whole criminal thing? Dude, there's 14 kids. I'm pretty sure that some of those other... Like, he can't be the only bad egg, right? I mean, you know what they say. One rotten egg ruins the whole batch. <laughs> yeah, but out of 14 kids, man, you got to imagine that some of them are going to be kind of cool. They're like... No, that's not for me. I'm not going to be a dickhead like him. But other ones are going to be like, robberies and rapes? Great idea. Let's go. Let's get some Wheaties and fucking have a bowl of Wheaties and fuck some shit up. Wheaties? Really? Like the cereal. Fuck yeah. Oh, okay. Now, I'm like, wait, what? what's that? Oh, you mean mini weights? It's called Wheaties? No, okay. it's actually a cereal called Wheaties. They used to put sports people on the front, like Bruce Jenner before... He became Caitlyn Jenner. Let me look at that. When, when Bruce, Bruce Jenner was still a dude, they put him on a Wheaties box. <laughs> uh, Wheaties. Uh-huh. Well, the authorities caught up with Ivan again in 1974, and he was rearrested. His family hired John Marden to defend him, and he was acquitted of the charges. After that, it looked like as if he was finally trying to make an effort to change his life. Short-lived. <laughs> you betcha. In 1975, Ivan settled into a respectable job working for the Roads and Traffic Authority as a truck driver. Hey, I, I, I dig that. I know where this one's going. <laughs> he worked there for about 20 years. Only 20? Yeah, so he had a lot, nice long run with him, right? You sure not like 19.9 or 20.1? No, it was over about 20 years or so. <laughs> So this one here, it says, unorthodox relationship with women. Okay, let's see what the fuck the researcher is talking about on this one. In 1975, Ivan met a 16-year-old girl who was pregnant with his cousin's baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Hold up. They're from that, fucking Arkansas. That's do, what this has to be. Say that again. In 75, he met a 16-year-old girl who was pregnant with his cousin's baby. Okay. Oh, yeah, and hillbillies only happen here in America. I hear banjos when I read this. Well, the two of them would get married in 1983 and have one daughter together. 
She left him in 87, citing domestic violence as the reason. The divorce was final in October of 1989. That's going to be confusing for other kids. She's my aunt, mom, cousin, brother, sister. She, she's part of the family. She, I, we don't know what she is. Even how doctors she, don't know. How is she related to you? It's very complicated. <laughs> Look, there's like some mental gymnastics that you have to do. And in order to do that, you have to know a little bit about how blood works. And we don't have enough time to go over that. And then we have to draw you a diagram. And... <laughs> Fuck. Years of counseling. <laughs> over the years, Ivan would have, uh, would have an affair with two of his brother's wives. Boris, uh, his wife Karen, and Wally's wife, Maureen. God, what a dick, man. Don't fuck your brother's wives. I'm sorry, he fucked his wives or say that? His brother's wives. Two of his brothers. Banged him. Ah, uh, that you know That's messed up. Yeah, that's a dick move right there. Man. That 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 that's, that, a, that's, that's a dick move. According to Karen, Ivan had raped her. I call bullshit, but okay. I mean It was also as if he had taken possession of her. Which is common in domestic violence situations. No, I'm thinking that was probably an affair. Like, seriously, I don't think there was a rape involved. I think she got busted. And uh, she's like, oh, I was raped. No, you weren't. You're, you're, you're blowing him of your own free will. But He's not trying to downplay rape. He's just skeptical. I'm very skeptical. Because it seems like, and I've heard this a lot before, it's like when women get caught cheating it's not my fault he 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 raped me or he did this or he did that it's oh like, you're talking about the other way okay i kind of lost track there for a moment pay attention we test <laughs> she was never allowed to leave the house without permission when she went to the grocery store she had to bring him the receipts for the uh money that she had spent weird shit i mean can't keep track of the money you're paying for wait I think that maybe he should just use a shot collar. That would have been a lot easier. I mean, either a shot collar or a studded collar, where it's always digging in. That's messed up. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> On one occasion, Karen served Ivan a meal that he didn't care for. He became so angry that he took the plate and smashed it down on the glass table. And the glass table shattered as well. You can imagine, right? He slammed it into the table with so much force that the table itself shattered. Called it. When Karen tried to clean up the mess, he wouldn't let her touch it. He then took pictures of her failure before he left to run home to mommy. When Karen, yeah, I guess he went back home to his mom and said, this is what she did and this is why I got upset. What a bitch move, man. Okay. You know what? So, different strokes for different folks. So when Karen finally left in 1987, Ivan went and burned her house down. A bit aggressive. Uh, very, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I don't get it. I'm just saying... Um, dick move. Well, get this. Ivan in Maryland had an affair. This is one of his brother's other wives, right? Uh-huh. Uh, until 1971, and when she ended it, Ivan went out and raped a hitchhiker. Uh, uh, how, how do those two correlate? I'm going to tell you. I'm glad that you asked. This is why I got that psychology degree. Um, it's, it's still a form of aggression. He probably couldn't get to her, but he took out his aggression on a hitchhiker. Damn hitchhikers. Well, what what they ever do to you? 
hitchhike towards you? That's right. Oh, you just wait. This story, I know where this one's going. And that's messed up. Then when Karen left in 1987, uh, he and Marilyn resumed their relationship. Yeah. That was the one that just left. That was the one that left. And then Marilyn, uh, so Marilyn, he was in the relationship with Karen, you know, okay. uh, boning her on the side. One of his brother's sisters gets with Marilyn. Which was also? A brother's wife. Okay. Her brother's wife. Marilyn says, adios, bitch, nachos. I'm out of here, you psycho fucker. He rapes the fucking hitchhiker, and him and Karen go back at it. I'm, like, I'm just going to say this. It's like a weird Arkansas Brady Bunch thing. I'm just going to say this. Dude's got willpower, just right in the wrong directions. I don't know. I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did this to me, so I'm going to do this. That doesn't correlate, but you go. So now people are disappearing from Sydney, Australia. From December of 1989 through April of 1992, seven individuals were reported missing after they had last been seen in Sydney, Australia. On December 30th of 89, Deborah Everest and her boyfriend, James Gibson, two 19-year-olds from Frankton, Victoria, Australia, were reported missing. The last time anybody had heard from them, they had left on, uh, Sydney to attend a confest somewhere in Albury. I don't know what a confest is. I think it's a concert thing. I can look. And over where? Albury. A-L-B-U-R-Y. Confest? Time, people like fucking hitchhiking shit. Simone Schittle. Yeah, Confest Schittle. is an alternate bush campout festival. Oh, okay. Held in southeastern uh, states of Australia. Oh, cool. What it exactly does, I wouldn't know. But oh, probably alternative music. So, probably. Simone Schmidl. S C H M I D L. Yeah, that's the wrong Simone Schmidl. You'll probably know where she's from. A 21 year old German tourist. Because a name like Schmidl. Ah, Schmidl. Yeah. Yeah, from Germany, we went to backpacks across the Sydney. Why are you make, Why are you making them flamboyant gays? Um, her name is Simone, so she could be flamboyantly gay and feminine. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna let that one slide. <laughs> so on January of twentieth uh, of ninety one, she left uh, Sydney to go to Melbourne, which is on the other side of the country. I know what Melbourne is at least. So. Later that same year, another couple uh, from Germany, 21-year-old, and I'm going to fuck this up, because I and I practiced. I really do practice these things. Garber Nudeberger. <laughs> oh, let me see the name. N-E-U. N-E-U. G-E. G-E. B-A-U-E-R. B-A-U-E-R. Nugenbar? I, I'm going to go with Nugenbar. Nugenbar. Nah, yeah. just yeah. go with one that you went with. Twenty-year-old Anja have shittle. I'm sorry. Are you just pulling oh, names out of your ass? A N J A Anja, Anja H A B S A S C H I E D. Have sheed. Shittle. Have she? Have she? Yeah. Okay, anyway, I think like, right. I have no idea. I'd have to look at it in order to even try. So. They Kings Cross Hostel. Which is like a hotel, shared living. They were held. They were headed to Mildura on, on December twenty sixth of seventy one, and nobody ever heard from them again. 
On April 28th of 92, two British backpackers, and they're going to have normal names, thank God. They have normal names? They must not get pronounced. They must not be British. No, I mean, British, no, British are is actually really English. I'm thinking yeah, about English. Thing. They're not German. Hi, my name is Hans Dude, your name's Joe. That's your name. You guys didn't see it, but I swear I thought his face was twitching when he said that. Because, man. <laughs> like, like he was having a seizure while trying to say that made-up word. <laughs> Probably a real fucking name. They're like, that's my cousin Hans. How did he know him? Anyway, <laughs> two British backpackers, 21-year-old Caroline Clark, and 22-year-old Joanne Walters disappeared after they were last seen leaving King's Cross, which is in Sydney. So let's talk about some gruesome discoveries at Belangelo State Forest. Caroline Clark and Joanne Walters. On September 19th of 92 in Belangelo State Forest, two runners stumbled upon a set of remains. The following morning, when the authorities searched the area, they found another set of remains approximately 98 feet from the first set. So he found a dumping site. Oh, uh how? -huh. And considering how large Australia is, I'm surprised he didn't string them out further. Yeah, the backpack's pretty fucking big, right? Like, there's a lot of empty space there. He oh, probably could have gone a little further. Well, after processing this crime scene, they would uh, be the only two bodies they would find in that area. The two sets, I'm assuming. Okay, so there's, at least he's thinking right and not doing all one area. Due to the level of decomposition, law enforcement had to rely on dental records to identify the deceased. It wasn't long before they realized they had found the bodies of Caroline and Joanne. After the medical examiner performed autopsies, the authorities discovered they had both been brutally murdered. The brutality of Joanne's murder indicated that the killer was filled with a high level of rage. She had been stabbed in the back nine times. Impressive. Yeah, and although those wounds wouldn't have killed her, they would have left her paralyzed. Like, you gotta think about it. You gotta plunge it through thick flesh. Oh, and yeah. take it out. I but doing it nine times in a row, your arm's going to get tired. you got to, like, slop it between them. We've done some that were, like, uh, and they were stabbed, like, 42 times. I'm sitting there like, my arm hurts just thinking about stabbing somebody a couple of times. What is this, 42? Holy shit. It's got to be, like, an act of sheer rage in order to do it that many times. But like, I, I recommend that our serial killers out there that are going to stab people, make a, make a killing machine. Like, seriously. Have it do the work for you. Stab them a hundred times. Chainsaw. Yeah. Chainsaw, but knives. Yeah, something. <laughs> because fucking your arm's going to get tired, dude. Where was that? Good workout. <laughs> her killer didn't stop there. He stabbed her in the neck once and in the chest four times. Yeah, nine Fifth. times in the back? 24 times total. Plus the one time in the neck. 24 times total. The one time in the neck, yeah. It was determined that Caroline had been shot in the head also 10 times. Okay, so after he stabbed one person... Joanne. He stabbed one person 24 times. Right. And the other person, he said, okay, my arm's tired. I'm gonna just pull out my pistol. Load it up. Bam, bam, whatever. How many times? Ten fucking times. Dude. All in the face? 
I don't know. Just said I would think all over the head. Ten fucking shots. That's a lot. I'm surprised they even got any dental records from that one. Like that kind of shocked too. Well, I entire mean, I skull have been just obliterated. I can understand if it was something small caliber, like a 22 or a 25. That's a pretty small caliber, ten times. But like you know, with like my 45 or 357 or a 38, that's a large caliber, man. You ain't gonna have a skull. I mean, like records, man. It's still only ten, like ten times. No matter how many times you do it, you're doing it however big the bullet is, whatever. So the authorities theorized that the location uh, this murder had this murder had used as his brutal site, as burial site, may have been the location uh, for people that went that people had gone for target practice. So he, you know, thinking he's already he's an avid shooter. Uh, so he wanted to get ten more rounds in. Okay, <laughs> that's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's a good shot. Ten headshots. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I messed Oh, that's messed up. In October of 93, a local man was in the Belegolo State Forest looking for firewood when he discovered some bones in a remote section. He returned to the area in the following morning with the authorities so they could search the vicinity. That's when they found another set of remains. After the autopsy was performed on them, it was determined that the remains belonged to Deborah Everest and her boyfriend, James Gibson. So they were already skeletons, he said, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's total decomp on them. Ooh. So the only so the only thing that they did have was dental records for that one. Well, yeah, you got to think like you have decomp, and plus you have animals, and you have scavengers that that eat flesh and and bugs and tear away bones and spread them around. Right, right, right. We Some animals they're even like break bones and eat the marrow if there's any left. Well, we saw this with John Arthur Aykroyd from Oregon, um, where. When he took the cops to the place where he said, and I just happened to see her her yellow jogging suit, and the first thing I saw was her jawbone. Well, that couldn't have been accurate because the jawbone was actually found 200 yards away. It wasn't at the dump site because an animal had gotten a hold of it. Okay, on December 31st of 89, the day after the couple was last seen, someone found James's camera. It was discovered that Gibbs, that... Galston, George, which was more than 75 miles north of the Belegolo State Forest. That's where it was found. His backpack was found in the same area on March 13th of 90. Therefore, when his body was found in Belegolo, in Belegolo the authorities were pretty puzzled. Like, they're like, what the fuck is going on here? Why is this thing all the way over here, and but this body's all the way over here? Like, Yeah, it just made no sense to him. James was found laying in the fetal position. He had been stabbed a total of eight times. With that, uh, with that appeared to be a large, with what appeared to be a large knife. During the attack, the killer not only cut the man's upper spine, but also punctured his lungs and his heart. Okay, so he's not going for torture. I don't think he's definitely lashing out. Oh, most like, definitely. Like, Eight stab wounds, I think you said, and like one of them was to the spine. And if the eight stab wounds wouldn't have killed him, he would have drowned on his own blood. Yeah, he got stabbed in the lungs, and then get stuck in your heart too. But getting shot, getting stabbed in the heart—that's just instant, like, like yeah, more or less. Your blood's just gonna fucking pull up, and you're gonna—that's it. You're done. Yeah, like if if he was trying to do like torture or whatever, he would have probably just only done one lug, and he was just suffocated after a while. 
It could be. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking but, of Modern Rage. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that too. Like, yeah, that's the only way I can think of it. So the killer displayed a, a high level of savagery when he murdered Deborah. She had been brutally beaten. During the assault, her skull was fractured in two places. Her jaw was broken, and there were knife marks on her forehead. She had also been stabbed multiple times in the back. So that's a lot of rage, man. That's a lot of rage going on. Like, and you got to think, like, he was probably doing this back-to-back on on both people. Yeah, you're not going to kill them separately. (laughs) Well, you could probably think of a way, but you definitely want to do it normally. Well, James is close... James was clothed when his body was found. The authorities discovered that although his jeans were were buttoned, his zipper was down. By the appearance of the victim's clothing, it would indicate that both James and Deborah had been sexually assaulted as well. Okay, so he's bisexual. Good to know he doesn't have any preferences. Yeah, there you go. Except as long as it's cold. You so need Jesus. (laughs) Why do I bring you in to record? Because Tammy wasn't here? You're a sick bastard. You trade Tammy in for me. How do you think about that? You fucking drugs. That's what I need. (laughs) Here we go with the damn German names. Simone Schmittel. Schmittel. Gabor Nugenbarger. Gabor? Gabor. Gabor? G-A-B-O-R. Gabor. His name is Gabor. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, kind of tracks. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry for anybody. Kaja Habsheed. And I know that we have a market in Germany. I'm sorry that I'm butchering these things, but Germany. Don't you know a little bit of German? I speak fluent German. Hey, you can't pronounce, can't pronounce these. <laughs> you can't really pronounce any of the names. No. Closest one you got was Schmidl. Yeah, that's right. And who knows? You might be butchering that anyways. Yeah, probably. Who knows? <laughs> While police were performing a sweep of the forest on November 1st of 93, they found skeletal remains in a clearing along a fire trail. During the autopsy, the medical examiner discovered the remains belonging to Simone Schittle. Schmittle. Not Schittle. Schmittle. Well, Schittle. Hey, once again, the guy's consistent. Stabbed eight times. Two of those stab wounds severed her spine, while others punctured her heart and her lungs. And I, you know, all this guy's Aren't all like, these, like, backpackers that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's why he's called Like, they had to take off their backpack in order to get stabbed in the spine, unless their, like, bodies are just that thin. Well, we're going to get deep into this. We're going to find some shit Just out. like the stab wounds. It's fucked up, man. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Although she was clothes, the, the clothes she was wearing didn't belong to her. They were the clothes of Anja that Anja was wearing when she disappeared. The authorities also discovered a bondage device in the vicinity of the bones. For well, what kind of bondage later, device? You can't just leave me hanging on that one. I don't know. We're going to find out. Three short days later, the authorities discovered the remains of Gabor Nugenbach. That dude. Just call, him by, just call him by their first names at this point. And Anja. Near the same fire trail. Both victims had been found buried in shallow graves 50 feet from each other. When Anja's remains were recovered, law enforcement discovered she had been completely decapitated and her head was never been found. Jeez. Gabor was shot six times, and although he was, clo- he was clothed, the killer left his fly down. 
It's like the other dude. Uh-huh. Let it all hang out. Since Gabor was such a tall man and he regularly lifted weights, the authorities were starting to wonder if they were looking for two suspects. Because you know, this dude's like ripped. He's like, I am the Gabinator. <laughs> oh, that's messed up, dude. My backpack will be back. Don't talk about the dead like that. That's messed up. Don't stab me. Oh. Don't stab me. I might be into it. <laughs> Get in the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> After completing all the autopsies, the medical examiner discovered that some were more disturbed. He found out some more disturbing information. With the wounds the killer inflicted, it was determined that some of the victims didn't die instantly. Well, of course, like most of the stab wounds are missing vitals, <laughs> right? And like there's stab wounds, unless the person that, like the person you said that got shot ten times in the face, that one definitely died instantly. Had to have been. Like, 22s aren't for penetrating, like, bone and shit. So, I mean, they can actually ride along your skull and shit like that and be subdermal. In that case, that's a hell of a migraine. Yeah, I mean, I got stories about that shit. But anyways, on October 14th of 93, the authorities assembled a team of 20 detectives and analysts and launched a task force. This was right around the time they discovered the second set of remains. They found the second set. A few days after the remains of the other three missing individuals were found, November 5th of 93, the government of New South Wales, Australia, increased the reward to $500,000. Law enforcement also issued warnings to the public in an effort to deter people from, from hitchhiking. Hitchhiking and backpacking, they're like, don't do it, mate, because we got a crazy-ass motherfucker out here. Might. Might. Good night, might. Don't do that, might. <laughs> All right. No. At first, members of the task uh, force uh, set about developing a suspect profile. When that was complete, they combined the profile information with that with the data they had received from other sources. In addition, the additional sources included vehicle records, gym memberships, gun licenses, and other various other police records. They, when they were finished, instead of facing a suspect list that consisted of every male in, uh, in and around Sydney, the list was significantly shorter. In fact, the suspect list only had 230 names on it. Still a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Especially for Australia, there's at least like three people there. <laughs> Even then, the list was so long they didn't bode well for law enforcement officials. Since they needed to narrow the list down a little bit more, they applied link analysis technology. I'm sorry, what? Link analysis technology. Or does she go into uh, explanation on mode? On I'll that? have to explain that to you after the show. Okay, I'm gonna guess it's something not about Legend of Zelda. No, has nothing to do with Zelda. <laughs> By doing this, they were able to take the list from 230 suspects and shorten it down to more, a more manageable list of about 32 suspects. Let's take a moment to take a step back and look at the big picture for a moment. After all seven of these missing people were found, investigators had to acknowledge something no law enforcement agency wanted to ever contemplate. Each of these victims were found buried in shallow graves in remote areas of the forest. All, all of the makeshift graves 
were under a pyramid of ferns and sticks. It was determined that many of the victims had been sexually assaulted, with the uh, exception of Simone. All were part of a couple, um, and it's obvious that they were looking at the work of a serial killer. It is oddly specific. You know, very much. They, but nobody wants to admit that they have a serial killer working in their area. Yeah, like that's, that's like one of the most like scary things you could think of. Like if right. the news came on right now and said, we have a serial killer going for a pair of fat guys all the time, we would be scared as we hell. We lock the fucking doors barricaded. I would, I would be calling up. I would be calling up my booking agent and my attorney's going, look. I don't care where you guys are. Stop what you're doing. I need 15 Rottweilers. I need three uh, freaking pit bulls and more guns. <laughs> Why would you call the lawyers, though? Protect myself. Are you kidding me? Plus, my, my attorneys will do just about anything for me. Well, you know what they say about money. As long as you have enough of it, anything can happen. Mm, that's true. On November 13th of 93, 24-year-old Paul, Paul Onions. Paul Palungans. No, Onions. Like the fucking root. Paul Onions. Remember we were talking about Orange Washington? Okay, so we got... Oranges and onions. Oranges and onions. Uh, Let's eat my new song. You could probably make a meal out of that, too. I'm going to make a song called Oranges and Onions. Talking about how bad they go together? Well, he lived in the United Kingdom, UK. Uh, Called the South Wales Police... But he called the South Wales Police Department. According to his statement... He wanted to tell them about what happened to him while he was backpacking around Australia in 1990. On January 25th of 1990, he was hitchhiking towards Mildra from Liverpool. As he was leaving Kosala and heading south, he was picked up by a guy known only as Bill. Bill. Mm-hmm. They were just south of Mittagong, less than one kilometer, one kilometer, Away from Bangalore State Forest, Bill suddenly pulled over and stopped the car. That's when he pulled out a, a gun on Paul and said that he that it was a robbery. Well, somehow Paul managed to get away from Bill, and Bill shot shot at him, started firing shots at him. And in an effort to save his own life, Paul flagged down a passing motorist and a lady by the name of Joanne Barry. Joanne took Paul to the Borough Police Department, and they both provided officers with a description of Bill and his vehicle. Whoever spoke to Paul on the phone wrote all the information down uh, on a note so it could be turned over to the task force. Unfortunately, that note was somehow misplaced. In fact, detectives didn't even see the note until someone found it in some paperwork on April 13th of 1994. Yeah, you know, like that, that one sink in. in. I don't know if it was either huge incompetence or one of the brothers might have been in there. No, that's just huge incompetence. Right yeah, there. it could have just been huge incompetence. Nothing against Australians, but you do yeah, live on you guys because we have a market there too. <laughs> like, like you do live in a place where ninety nine point nine percent of it is empty. So everything uh, in Australia. This is the reason why I've never done a show in Australia, and I've I've been offered. Everything wants to kill you. Everything wants to kill you. Have you seen it's, the size of their fucking spiders? Like, at least as big as your head. Goddamn things scare me thinking about them. Like, they're, they're, everything wants to kill you. It's way too hot. 
It's surrounded by ocean, so it's going to be humid a little. Here's where I had to draw the line. I love platypuses. Platypi? They are adorable. But they're also poisonous. I found that out. I, t- I actually told you that one. I was, I was no, I actually, I, I told I you that one from uh, my uh, my booking agent because you know, I got he, I got he goes, look, you got to find something good about that place, you know, so we can get you over this. You know what? You're right. I like platypus. Platypuses are adorable. He goes, what? He goes, they're poisonous. You know they have poisonous barbs, right? Oh, son of a bitch! The cutest thing on the planet, and it wants to kill me too. That's great. Awesome. Fantastic. Nothing in Australia wants me to live. Nothing. Even the Australians don't want you to live. I have a fear that I'm going to step off the plane, and I'm going to get attacked by spiders, poisonous snakes, platypus, and saltwater crocodiles. And they all have uh, fancy sunglasses, too. Oh, yeah. And they're going to be like, good night, mate. We had the chief were talking shit about us, and now we're here to tell you. I'm like, great. I probably have that coming. Great. Now, you know, I just wanted to play music here, but I guess I'm going to just die by a bunch of Australian animals. I'm just going to fucking die. It's cool. <laughs> well, members of the task force contacted Brower Police, the Brower Police Department, to obtain the original report. Thankfully, a constable with the department had recorded all the uh, details in her notebook. In the meantime, Joanne Barry had also contacted the task force team, and the, and the statement she gave uh, corroborated with the statement that they'd received from Paul. Around that time, they also received a call from the girlfriend of the man who worked with Ivan Malat. She called just to let them know that, that they should take a, a closer look at Ivan and question him about the case. Oh, is that the main person? That's the dude that we're featuring now. Okay, I, I heard the name before, but like we've talked about like at least 10 different people by now. Yeah, this, so, is, this is our main dude. I'm glad that we finally wrapped around <laughs> back to him. That has some backstory, right? Right. With these three reports, the task force had what appeared to be a promising lead they needed to follow up on. As it turns out, Ivan was on their list of suspects that the authorities already had. Out of the 23, Ivan's on there. A surveillance team had been assigned to keep an eye on him and his house on February 26th of 94. Investigators had learned that after the bodies of Caroline and Joanne were discovered, uh, he had sold his Nissan truck, which and that's what they gave in the description uh, that Paul Onion gave. And Joanna, when he was shooting at him, he was driving a Nissan truck. Well, he had sold it. So that's immediately suspicious. Oh, very. Like, I don't think there's many cars down there. Oh, there is. There's a ton. I know. I'm just bashing on you guys because you have 99% empty space. Like so always. Like it. The authorities also learned some more interesting things about Ivan that made them even that made him even more of a person of interest. Before you continue, I don't have anything against you guys, Australians down there. No, I, got, I got lots of friends that live in Australia. Yeah, I don't have anything against you guys. I was going to continue that, but but if you guys want to, I'll ship them down to you. You can feed them to the saltwater crocodiles. Or the big-ass huntsman spiders. There are saltwater crocodiles? You didn't know that? They're some of the biggest fucking crocs in the world. Like, I knew that, like, crocs usually stay near, like, rivers slash lakes, but I didn't think I would... Saltwater crocodiles, man. Saltwater crocodiles. Now now they're in the oceans. And I think that they can get up to some stupid length. I heard, like, 20-some-odd feet or something like that. 
Like, these, are, these aren't your pet alligators, right? And they're super aggressive. Well, of course, anything that has, like, a mouthful of razors, yeah. they're going to be aggressive. Uh-huh. That's... Well, the authorities also learned some more interesting things about Ivan that made him even more of a person of interest. The man was obsessed with weapons, which under normal circumstances isn't very incriminating. However, like there's one person that's down there that is just all about swords and all that, like medieval history. I know that because he has a YouTube channel, Shadowversity. Free shout out for you guys. But yeah, he lives in Australia and just all about swords. Oh, wicked cool. Yeah. All right, I'm, that's the last time I'm going to cut you off. For However, that. they also discovered that on the days the victims went missing, Ivan wasn't at work. If that was all they were able to find, people could dismiss it all as coincidence, and I agree with that. Yet, the authorities found out one more bit of information that they couldn't ignore. Ivan had used his brother Bill's identification for work and had to register his vehicle. Good old Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Registered his vehicle and worked under his brother Bill's name. They knew they needed Paul's help, and they needed him to be in Australia. Well, Paul, Paul, the onion man, arrived back in Australia on May 5th of 94. He didn't even hesitate to identify Ivan as the man who attempted to assault him. Assault him nothing. Tried to blow his brains out, man. On May 22nd of 94, the authorities obtained a warrant to search Ivan's house. During the search, they, requir- they, they recovered a 22 caliber. Oh, it's an Enschutz model. An Enschutz uh, model. Yeah, Enschutz. <laughs> Do you hear the silence? That's my disappointment in that bad joke. I'm, I'm all about the bad jokes. So, anyway. 22 caliber rifle, a 22 caliber Ruger 10.22 rifle that matched the weapon used in the murders. However, that wasn't all they found. They found bloody knives, like at least a 10,000 of them. Now, Plus, the authorities also discovered that Ivan had foreign currency, clothing, and a tent, sleeping bag, camping equipment, and cameras that belonged to all the victims. That's as good as having blood. But no knives. Nah, I think he did say something about knives. I just didn't hear it. I'm looking now. No, surprisingly, I didn't. Really? He thought I was camping without a knife, really. <laughs> After searching Ivan's house, law enforcement officials obtained warrants to search the homes of his mother and five of his brothers. Only five out of the 14? Out of five out of his other five, uh, 14 kids. When those searches were complete, they had recovered 24 more weapons and 250 kilograms of ammunition. I don't know how much that is in pounds. That's, I can tell you. It's a lot. It's a lot. 22, you said? Uh, 250 kilograms. 250. That's even more than I was expecting. Uh, and even more items that belong to the victims. Okay, that is 551 pounds. Jesus Christ. Well, ammo's heavy, so. It's mostly metal and gunpowder. Like that's, that's all, all it is. is metal and gunpowder. Yeah, and metal's dense. Yeah. Ivan's first court appearance was on May 23rd of 94. Although he appeared in court that day, he did not enter a plea. He was brought back into court on May 31st 
when he was formally charged with seven counts of murder. On June 28th, Ivan fired his attorney, Mark Marsden, and sought help from, uh, from legal aid to pay for his defense. Okay, whatever. I'm just going to let you keep doing that because... I, I guess he was seeking money to pay for his defense. This is the best I can get. Or maybe there was just a bit of a translation error there. It could be. Maybe I need to proofread this shit. <laughs> his committal hearing began on October 24th and lasted until December 12th. During that hearing, over 200 witnesses were brought in to testify. Ivan's trial began on March 26th of 96, and Mark Tedowski was a lead prosecutor. Right away, the defense set about... <coughs> Sorry, I gotta get a drink of water. Hey, don't die now. You're on air. So I want to go out. I'm pretty sure you want to go out on the stage. I not, do. Yeah. Something cool like blow myself up or get set on fire. Or get blown up by somebody else. Or die during, during sex. Like, come and go at the same time. <laughs> like, final shot. And, like, there's another one afterwards. See, you're hard to traumatize. Because for those of you that don't know, Jacob is my son. He's my 18-year-old child. And, unfortunately, he has my fucked up sense of humor, and it's hard to traumatize him. You've definitely done it a couple of times. But then I bounce back immediately and make even more traumatizing comments. Sure, man. I got to plan out. How can I traumatize Jake? And then I have to go through a bunch of shit and a bunch of mental gymnastics. Oh, this one might work. And sometimes it does. But most of the time, it's like you'll come back with something else. Yeah, well, this, this, and this. Motherfucker. God damn it. I always do it. I always try to bounce back. But there's been, like, very few times where I couldn't do it because, like, you're just messed up sometimes, dude. I am messed up. All right. So right away, the defense set about to argue that all of the evidence that the state had against their client was completely circumstantial. In fact, Ivan's attorneys did what they could to blame other members of his family. So he was actively trying to blame his family. Oh, yeah. Don't you know, they, they say blood is sicker than wine, but... Thicker than water. Wine, water. No, big difference. I know. Like, water, we buy that for a buck a bottle. Wine collection that I have in the closet, it's not a a dollar. (laughs) I think some places do say blood is thicker than wine. I just have to, I don't remember where exactly. If you guys know where that is, let me know. And if I'm just talking out of my ass, let me know that too. (laughs) The defense team alone called approximately 145 witnesses to testify on Ivan's behalf, including in those witnesses were members of his family who tried to give him an alibi. Ivan even got up on the stand to testify as well. Now, this is what I don't understand. They're calling up his, number one, he's trying, they're trying to blame members of his family. No, the real killer is like, his brother Bill and shit. Or Jimmy John. Yeah, and now they're calling members of his family, and they're like, no, Ivan's a good guy. It probably is. Like, you're trying to throw your own family under the bus. It's just fucked up. Yeah, it is. It really is messed up. Damn. I mean, like, I don't like your uncle, my brother Phil. Him and I don't get along. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised you even managed 10 minutes with him. Hey, we did your whole graduation dinner. Yeah, you managed 10 minutes with him. 
We didn't murder. It was and it was only because I was in between you two. Well, just, just don't talk. But any um, but if I got caught doing anything nefarious, like let's say drugs or even murder, I'm not gonna throw them under the bus. That's fucked up. I mean, Yari did do drugs. Lots of drugs. <laughs> That's how you were conceived. Oh, so now you're... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so now you're saying you fucked a pile of cocaine and I came out. Okay. That's kind of gross, but... I was clean I was clean before you were born. I know, like at least a year. Yeah. Okay, so... After listening to testimony for 18 weeks, on July 27th of 96, the jury returned with a verdict of guilty. Ivan was sentenced to life without parole for the murders. For the Paul Onions incident, Ivan was found guilty of attempted murder, false imprisonment, and of course robbery, because he said this is a robbery. The courts ordered him to serve six years for each of those counts, which I think is... Well, he's already got a lifetime. Yeah, and then six years on top. Okay, no, I, I dig. It's like, if he manages to stay alive... After being killed or whatever, he gets another six years. <laughs> yeah, true. So during 2000, uh, a 2001 inquest, it was determined that Ivan may have been responsible for the disappearances of the following people. Because it all matched up. December 20th of 78, 20-year-old Leanne Goodall. On April 7th of 79, 18-year-old Robin Hickey. April 21st of, 17, of 79, and this one kind of makes me sad because of the age, 14-year-old Amanda Robertson. Robinson. Also, uh, there are also unsolved cases that authorities believe Ivan is responsible for as well, especially since they share similar a similar modus operandi. Since there is a possibility Ivan had an accomplice, the following cases have remained open. 20-year-old Karen Rowland vanished on February 26th of 71. Her body was discovered in Fairbairn Pine Plantation, May of 71. 18-year-old Peter Letcher vanished November of 87. His body was found uh, in Genolan State Forest in 88. 29-year-old Diane Penacocho. P-E-N-N-A-C-C-H-O. Pentecostio. I don't think there's a ka in there because you said the yeah, C's. Yeah, there there's an A. There's there... Pentecostio. Yeah, Pen... but the C's were next to each other, right? Huh? So it would probably just be like a weird S. Pentecostio. Uh, it'd be Pentecostio. Vanished September 6th of 91. Her body was discovered in Talladega State Forest on November of 91. So what's happened since his conviction? Let's talk about that for a minute, and then we'll wrap this shit up. If he didn't get murdered by inmates, then I don't know what, what possibly he has done, because to be honest here, there's two things that inmates don't like. Rapist and child abusers. Yeah. And, like, mix between those two, make, like, ten or something, but, like... Maybe he became someone's bitch. Uh, like Queen Bee... Yeah. Maybe he's like, I better suck some dick or I'm going to die. Well, let's find out. On May 16th of 97, Ivan tried to, and this was on his first day. So the first day Ivan arrived at Maitland Goal, G-A-O-L, 
to prison, I guess. He was beaten by fellow inmates. So, boom, yeah, there you go. I mean, beat the shit out of this tough guy. On May 16th of 97, Ivan tried to escape from prison with a with a convicted drug dealer by the name of George Savas. Their plan failed, uh, and the next day, Savas was found hanging in his cell, and Ivan was transferred to maximum security section at Goulborn Correction Center. Between 97 and 2011, Ivan filed six appeals and appearances and applications to leave. All of them were dismissed. They're like, no, I don't think so, asshole. Why are you bothering? <laughs> like, is this your hobby or something? He's like writing this shit. Yeah, probably. He doesn't like getting beat up, so he distracts himself with trying to I'm not get beat up. Beaten up and raped in the butthole. I mean, he'd be lucky if it was just his butthole. I went in a tight end and I came out a wide receiver, like football, but only painful. <laughs> like your Uncle Phil when he went to prison. That was more of a girth receiver. <laughs> I actually asked him that one once. I said, hey, Phil, you've been to prison a couple of times. So like playing football. He goes, what do you mean? Did you go in a tight end and come out a wide receiver? He called me an asshole. I don't know why. It's a mystery. Call him Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo-Doo. <laughs> There's no clues. <laughs> in 2001. I even swallowed some razor blades, staples, and other metal objects. And I wasn't able to determine if it was a legitimate suicide attempt or if he simply wanted to seek more attention. I, If he's doing razor blades, that's a suicide, suicide attempt. attempt. Yeah. I mean, staples and shit, I'd be like, ah, oh, he's trying to get attention. But now he's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. Yeah. On January 26th of 2009, I even cut his own little finger off. The fuck off. He thought by doing so, he could force the High Court of Australia into granting him an appeal. He was taken to Goulburn Base Hospital for treatment. The very next day, he was returned to the prison when it was determined surgery to repair the damage was not possible. He cut off his finger, and the next day, they're like, fuck it, your finger's done, dude. Ah, to prison, you go. Now we're just going to stitch up that wound. Get the fuck out of here. We don't want you here. Wrap your hand. Take a couple of these aspirin. I don't know what to tell you. Can I get some better drugs? No. No, you're just getting like these shitty aspirin that we found under the counter. Exactly. We don't know how long they've been down there, but they, <laughs> they might work. They might not. We don't know. <laughs> in 2006, uh, Ivan was finally allowed to have a television in his cell. Holy it's crap. He got privileges. It's amazing. Good job. In 2011, <laughs> when the prison officials wouldn't allow him to have a PlayStation console, he went on a nine-day hunger strike. Which, honestly, when that happens, I I think that they should just go, hey, you know what? <laughs> if you're going to starve yourself to death, just do it. Yeah, just fucking starve yourself to death. Like, I get it. PlayStation games are really good. Not not good enough to starve yourself to death for, but I, they are yeah, good. I'm not going to starve myself to death for nothing. Like, seriously. No, I'm just freaking out. Well, that's because you are a basically almost dead. Yeah. And now I'm very food-centric. So in May in 2019, Ivan was sent to Prince of Wales Hospital, where he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. That's your esophagus, your throat, throat cancer. Yeah, I figured that. Okay. Some people won't won't know that. 
At the time, he was treated and transferred to Long Bay Correctional Center. On August 9th, the day after my birthday, prison officials transferred him to the secure unit at Prince of Wales Hospital when he developed a fever. <clears throat> when the hospital staff determined that the fever was not life-threatening, he was transferred right back to prison. They're like, get the fuck out of here. We, we, we've got better people to serve, not criminals. They might be criminals, but they haven't been convicted yet, and thus they have a better quality than you. Yeah, exactly. They're at least going to pay, or their insurance, or whatever. <laughs> and they didn't kill a bunch of backpackers and hitchhikers. <laughs> On October 27th, allegedly, um, on October 27th of 2019 at 4.07 a.m., Ivan died from the effects of his, uh, his uh, throat cancer and stomach cancer. Ah, so he died brutally. Yeah. Karma. It is. I don't really believe in karma because, you know, your mother kind of ruined that concept for me. She always claimed everything was karma. But that, that's karma. Sometimes your karma runs over your dogma. I love that blank stare. This is actually a thing called dogma. You can look it up. So, a couple of side At least notes. it's not catma. No. Cat- I avoid my catma at all costs. Nine lives. Because that thing's a pussy. <laughs> okay, I'm letting you have that one. In 2012, Ivan's great nephew, Matthew Malott, and his friend, Cohen Klein, were convicted of murder. The two of them took uh, 17-year-old David... Are these the brothers that you're talking about? No, this is his great-nephews. Great-nephews. Oh, so they looked up to him just all in all the wrong ways. They took a 17-year-old David Octerlone to the Belanglo State Forest on his 17th birthday in 2010. Once they had him there, they proceeded to kill him with an axe while they recorded the audio of their attacks on their cell phones. It's, That's probably what it sounded like. So <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got some parallels between that one, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Well, it sounds like a sort of generational thing. Oh, we'll get to that. Hold on. In 2015, Ivan's brother Boris gave Stephen Asperin, a former homicide detective and current consultant with the Los Angeles Police Department and FBI a tip. He stated that Ivan admitted to shooting and killing a taxi driver named Neville Knight in 1962. A man by the name of Neville Dillon had already been convicted of the murder. After receiving the tip, both Boris and Allen were given a polygraph test. As a result, Stephen Polygraph, is that the... Lie detector. That's, yeah. As a result, Stephen Apperin was convicted. Ivan was the one responsible for Neville's murder. But he's already dead. Well, they they basically locked up the wrong dude. So here's a good parallel between that, because, uh, between, uh, continuing on, because I don't know if you remember, it was one of the earlier episodes, I did one called uh, A Family of Killers. Yeah, I remember that one. We spoke about that a bunch. Right, and matter of fact, we're in contact with um, one of uh, the people, Ward Weaver, yeah, Junior, who's in San Quentin. I don't think we've gotten a letter from him for a while. That's because somebody's supposed to be sending them out a letter, which I got to fucking send something. Anyway, um, so yeah, Ward Weaver the third, he killed the two girls that were in Oregon City and got busted. 
and then his adopted son Francis killed a drug dealer. After that, but prior to that, Ward Weaver Jr., his dad, got convicted of the same thing of homicide. Like he's killed people while he was a truck driver. Um, and then prior to that, there was sexual abuse from Ward Weaver Sr. for the girls in the area. You know, and the letter that I got from Ward Weaver explained some of the things that went on in his life. I'm like, whoa, I totally fucking get it. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's some parallels that sometimes I'm a firm believer that some of this is genetic. I think that at times it's nature over nurture and that. And there's other times where if you don't have any natural tendency to it, it's just fostered. Well, by yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes you can look at their upbringing and things like that and go, oh, no, dude, this is totally nature. But, or nurture, rather. Um, but sometimes you look at it and go, dude, this is something that's ingrained in you. Like, there's something in your DNA yeah. that's wrong that says, this is what I want to do. I want to kill at least two people today. Okay, what about tomorrow? Three. Two people? Only two. What fucking underachievers? Look. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. You guys. It's called compound. You start with two, and eventually you go to 2,000. They're like pranks. In a day. Man. You can't just eat one. Right. That, I don't know why I agreed with you on that one, but that's fucked up. All right, we're gonna wrap this one up. Remember, you can send us an email at brutalnation at twistedbluellc.com. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs, you can get all the information without half of my bullshit. Um, the show's copyrighted twenty. 22 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. Bye, folks. See you. I also do all the logos for Brutal Nation, if you guys didn't know. Oh, actually, yeah, I'll give you a shout-out for that. Actually, the, the new Brutal Nation, I like the new the, the new logo. You did the original one. Yeah, I really didn't like the original one. It was just, it was like, if you had to look at it as a silhouette, it was just a circle. Yeah, no, but it came, it came out really well. It came out all right, but the new one I like way better. I don't know if it's posted yet, but I think everybody, by now, whenever this comes out, it'll be out. I'm going to have to ask our tech guys if they yeah. redid that. I'm not sure if they did. Yeah, my, I have all my uh, social links for that on uh, the website. I suppose that he's uh, implementing all that for that. Yeah, that's all your all your links. Yeah, so like if you ever look at if you ever want to do anything, if you ever want me to do anything for like a logo or anything, I have commissions open all the time. You should have told me you wanted to get get a plug in on the show. Shit, hey, I took my I. You have initiative. All right, took the initiative on this one. Might as well take advantage of the time that I'm on here. Makes me cry, man. Makes me think that your your nuts aren't giant with the small pecker anymore. You're right. They're twice as big and <laughs> twice as small. That's a joke between Jake and I, because like when he when, when he was a kid, you know, as a parent, you give your kid bath, and I noticed that my son had these ginormous nuts and the smallest little pecker I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, please, for the love of God, let him grow a penis because I don't want to have to buy him a Porsche. So where's that Porsche? Oh. <laughs> You're fucked up. Let's wrap this one up. So it's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Have a good day. Or-